This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. For those who listen. For those who are willing to listen. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Welcome to First Timers to the Podcast, since the last episode with Baroness Ruth Deach. And after the assassination of Qasem Soleimani, there was an extraordinary spike in audience for the Colonel Richard Kemp episode. Hundreds of new listeners came on board for his clarity on the threat of Iran, and also for episode 21, Mudar Zahran, the self-styled Jordanian opposition leader who correctly predicted Donald Trump's Iranian strategy. Now, if you've not listened to either yet, scroll down the episodes... And do have a look. Today's guest is British jury's only currently serving Israeli politician, Jerusalem's deputy mayor, Fleur Hassan Nahum. Jerusalem is also the laboratory of the regional solution. We have 37% Arabs. We have 25% ultra-Orthodox Jews. We have 21% secular Jews. We have 22% people in the middle like me who are traditional religious. And... In Jerusalem, where today we're developing the models for a shared society which will serve the entire country. So the way I see it is I'm in the beta testing model at the moment. That's where I am. I'm very happy to be there. Fleur was in London as a guest of the Conservative Friends of Israel, telling the House of Lords the UK must stop funds for UNRWA. That's the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East. Unless, she says, it agrees to stop anti-Israel and anti-Semitic incitement in schools. Fleur was part of a cross-party meeting to discuss the UK's recent pledge of £65.5 million to UNRWA. That's your tax money. And she's pointed out that the Netherlands, Switzerland, New Zealand and Belgium already suspended donations to UNRWA due to its corruption and its incitement in those schools. The funding of Palestinian education by UNRWA to incite and glorify martyrdom only serves to fund another generation of war. The UN General Assembly voted in December 2019 to extend the mandate until 2023. Her eyes are open to the cut and thrust of Israeli politics, but there's something about her unusual background which Israel can well do with. And I started the tape rolling ahead of the formal questions. Well, the difference between Hamas, who were fighting war in Gaza, and us is that they use their children to fight their wars, and we protect their children when we're fighting against them. We care about their children more than they care about their children. Do you understand the so concept of that? <laughs> No, she said... When the Arabs love their children more than they hate us, that's when peace will come. You grew up in Gibraltar mm-hmm. and studied law at King's College here yeah. in London, mm-hmm. qualified barrister... Yeah. And before making Aliyah, immigrating to Israel in 2001, you're from Gibraltar, which means that... Um, I'm a Brit. Yeah, you're as exotic as you are familiar. Oh, that's nice. That's as Can nice I here. use that as, as my yeah, byline? Yeah, as exotic ahead. as I am as familiar. As you are familiar, <laughs> because I have been to Gibraltar. I like the three-pin plugs. I like <laughs> Marks and Spencer and Norwich and Peterborough Building Society. But the place looks Spanish. It looks Spanish. It feels Spanish. There's calles, which are called streets. It's calles, calle real, main street. Yeah. Yeah, but isn't it lovely, though, to be able to go in and buy decent underwear in Marks? 
I bought a suit there. <laughs> in pounds, I think, not <laughs> in course. euros. It's always been pounds. Now, in an interview earlier this year, you said that with your diverse family background, you're able to understand and reach out to different communities, which is important with your role in Jerusalem. Yeah. I can respect Arab culture, speak like an Andalusian, think like a Latino, a British person, <laughs> and a Sephardi. That's right. <laughs> Look, I think that growing up bilingual gives you an amazing, not just the fact that you speak two languages, but you understand two cultures and you have different insights living within one person. Um, on top of that, the Sephardi culture means that I'm very much uh, in touch with my mother's Moroccan background, you know, growing up uh, with Muslims and Christians in Gibraltar. Um, you know, I always say, I actually, when I look at it, I was raised by three women. My mother, a Jewish Moroccan woman, my nanny, <laughs> a a devout Catholic woman and our housekeeper Fatima a Muslim woman these are the three women who raised me how could I not now understand you know the three different communities that are living in my city so what languages do you speak so I speak English and Spanish mother tongue I learned Hebrew and I used to speak French but then when I learned Hebrew, the kind of French went yeah. from my head. But I understand everything and I want to get back to it now. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit like Ariel Sharon's dream, isn't it? You know, to the French people. Forget your French and come to Israel. Oh, my God. But uh, altogether, if I'll have to uh, advocate to our brothers in France, I will, tell, I will tell them one thing. Move to Israel. Early as possible. And that's what I'm saying to Jews all around the world. Um, now, you're currently the only British-born elected politician in Israel. Yeah. You became a Jerusalem city councillor in 2016, appointed deputy mayor for foreign relations in 2018. So how straightforward has your elevation through the system been? What do you mean by straightforward? Well, that's, that's pretty sharp elevation. Well, You, it, you weren't it, born there. That's you true. Know, you're a female. I, I, could, I, could, things, I could barely speak Hebrew when I, made, when I right, actually so, emigrated. So this is I, a good sign of, of a society. I think it is. I think people don't understand how inclusive Israel is. Really inclusive it is. First of all, it's a country made up of mainly immigrants uh, from over 100 countries. We've got a 20% in the whole country Arab population. We've got much smaller Christian population, about 3 two, three percent, maybe a little more. And you hear every language in Israel and especially in Jerusalem, which is the most diverse city in the country. And I say, you know, constantly I, I try and convince people because they don't really know that in Israel there's equal rights. What we're fighting for is equal opportunity. I think succeeding in politics, you know, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but a lot of it is also to do with a bit of mazal, with luck. Mm. Being in the right time, in the right place, you know, being open to opportunities. And, you know, I've worked very, very hard and I've had some very hard times when I've been ousted from parties, um, when I've found myself in very, very difficult situations. Um, and I think um, what I bring to the table is that, A, I'm not hysterical about it. Like, I, you know, if I'm not a politician, I'm not going to wither and die. I'll find somewhere something else to do to contribute to society um, uh, I think I'm a, I'm a friendly person and I'm generous with people and so people 
like to then you know be generous mm-hmm. back um, and I think again you know a bit of a bit of luck always yeah, helps always in politics helps. from Great Britain via Israel to the world this is Johnny Gould's Jewish State tell your friends spread the word and subscribe now what is your job there's tourism there's inclusivity mm-hmm what do I do every day? You know, I, I think what I do on the everyday level is I matchmake. Not people to get married, although I used to do that as well. But I, ma- I, I find that I'm living in a very heavily bureaucratic system when the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. And what I try and do is facilitate um, the public to be part of the decision making. Um, and I try, and within the bureaucracy, to try and make things more efficient. What I do is... I do all diplomatic ties for the city with different countries, city twinning, all that type of thing. I'm helping now the Americans build their new embassy. I'm encouraging other countries to move their embassy. I'm facilitating the physical bureaucratic process of all of that. And I'm also involved in economic development. Economic development, not just in the whole of the city. I'm very involved in the high-tech revolution that's happened in the city over the last seven years. I've done the matchmaking between... Uh, academia and industry because academia is very 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 important very significant in our city so I was one of the people who try and make uh, build the bridge between academia and industry for the good of quality employment in, in the city but now I'm very heavily invested in bringing economic opportunity to East Jerusalem which is where the majority of the 37% of the Arabs in my city live because they deserve the same opportunities they have the same rights they deserve the same opportunities yes. um, and because that's the, what I'm doing right because the gap between equal rights the theory and equal opportunities is yawning it's huge it's yawning and I saw Benjamin Netanyahu throw one out at Chatham House when he came here saying we're all into that and I thought yeah, it's fine to say that. You are never going to be the man to bring that about. You might say it. You'd be surprised. You know. I think it's the opposite with Bibi. I think the rhetoric, political rhetoric that he sometimes talks about can sound divisive, but he's given more money and more resources to Arab towns and villages and East Jerusalem than any other prime minister in the history of the state of Israel, including all the Labour prime ministers. So I think it's the opposite with Bibi. He actually does. He gets stuff done. But then when he's fighting an election, he has to seem a little less. But the historic um, decision that the government of Israel took, the Likud government of Israel took three years ago, to say um, Jerusalem deserves, East Jerusalem deserves equal resources, that came from his government. And that decision has allowed me now to be able to bring in outside partners, other countries, to see how together we can develop East Jerusalem. But that came from him. Now, it is an ancient population of Jews, Armenians. Oh, yeah, the Armenian community is the coolest community, by the way. Roman Catholics, Arabs, constant peacemaking and controversies. It's a bit like Gibraltar, actually, isn't it? Gibraltar is, you know what, Gibraltar is my oracle of what coexistence looks like. Mm -hmm. My father was the chief minister of Gibraltar, won eight elections in a majority Catholic country. How does that happen? How does that happen? It happens because people don't look at, you know, oh, you're a Jew, oh, you're a Christian, oh, you're the Muslim. People are just people in Gibraltar. Because it's so small, we know people as people. We relate to people for the humanity. 
Coming um, from the airport on Winston Churchill Way, we've seen a red Winston postbox. Churchill Avenue. Avenue, that's it. <laughs> Love across the tower blocks on the left. Yes, they've actually, you know, done a little a little uh, pickup job on those tower, well, I'm tower to blocks. <laughs> I'm pleased to hear it. Um, am I correct in saying that um, women are more engaged at all levels of Israeli society? Uh, what can Israel teach Britain and Europe? The United States about this. There's well, no. Yes there's not no. going to be Me Too in Israel, is there? Well, we 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 had a, we had a, a Me Too in the army. You know, it turned out. But it's got a different texture in Israel. It's not the same. It's not, there's, well, no, there's no sort of Brigadier General Harvey Weinstein knocking about, is there? No, but we have an ex-president <laughs> in jail for rape. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. which means that the system is trying to correct itself. Yeah. And we we hold no prisoners. If a president, you know, if a president uh, abuse or Actually, in, in Israel, the definition of rape and sexual harassment is actually very, very um, wide. It includes a senior person in the same workplace having relations with a junior person. That is actually a cancellation of consent. I'm a lawyer in England. In England, it doesn't go that far. In England, you, you, can, you can cancel consent by age, by misrepresentation, but not necessarily by seniority in a workplace. And in Israel, yes, so we have very high standard, very wide. Look, I think that we have what to teach and we have what to learn. In terms of political representation, which I'm very engaged in, in terms of women, we have 25% in the Knesset. Low? I mean, not low for you know, the other countries of the Middle East. But OECD, we could be doing better. We have 19% in local government. Now, it used to be 30% in national government, went down to 25. Used to be 13% and went down to 18, 19. So what we've lost in national, we've gained in local. Still not good enough. I believe that we live in an imbalanced world because the women are not making 50% of the decisions. I truly believe that. So I won't be happy until women are 50% of decision makers. How do you do that? You have to show girls from when they're in school that they could also be the prime minister. Why not? I mean, in England, thank God, you've had two women prime ministers. That's fantastic. There's nothing better than role modeling when it comes to you know, empowering women. Without excluding men, this is the key. Without excluding men. You know, people think... Because we get into trouble in this country with something called white privilege. Yes. I mean, that is nonsense, honestly. Yeah. I mean, most white people in this country are poor. You know, yeah. They're talking about 25 blokes in the House of Lords. Yeah. And they think that represents all white people. Yeah. So, you know, I understand the feminist movement, but no, it must but not be at expense I think. Of I think feminism like Zionism, has been given a very bad PR rap by its enemies. So feminism... All by itself. What is feminism? I ask you... No, 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 no. I want to ask you, what's feminism to you? What does it mean? Give me the definition of feminism. The rights of women to contribute equally, and that's where it ends. Because in the last 10 years, uh, it has changed. It has... Evolved it, into something it, else. It hasn't evolved. People have given the name a bad rap. So what is feminism to me? Equal rights and opportunities for both genders. Yes. That's equal rights. That, that's, that's not feminism. What no, feminism. No, the people who are anti-feminism yeah. or some, you know, you know, have given feminism the rap of oh, women who don't shave their armpits and hate men, and that is done by the people trying to counter the feminist movement because feminism restores the power. 
quite rightly, equally between men and women. So the people fighting that are the people who don't want to see that restoration of equal power. And that's why it's been given the same a well, bad rap. I think. Feminism at its core is equal rights and opportunities. Well, that's and when what I like. hear people saying, yeah. oh, I'm not a feminist, especially women, I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm. And it's the same as Zionism. The ish- well, uh, you come into uh, the issue where Zionism and feminism have got a bad rap from their enemies. Yeah. I think both of them have fallen into an intersectionality yeah. of, of hate. And Absolutely. that is where I think feminism has fallen over in the last few years, as has hatred for Israel, anti-Zionism, yeah. which is now anti-Semitism yeah. in my book. Absolutely. Um, What's so, the difference? But, but what I'm saying <coughs> is that modern feminism has intersectionality um, overtones to it, which is where me and feminism... It puts uh, people, you know, good people else. off like you, yeah. but I just want you to come back to the core of what it represents and say proudly... I'm a feminist because you, as a father of two girls, want every right and opportunity that you had for them to have. I would probably say I'm the wrong kind of feminist, like Julia Hartley Brewer. <laughs> you know, she says, I'm a feminist, but I'm the wrong kind of feminist. A bit like. What does that mean? It means that they won't have her. The intersectional crew uh, won't have her. She is obviously a female just, role model, but she is a conservative with a small c. I'm a conservative also. Yeah. It's a woke. Again, don't let the woke. Uh, privileged ignoramuses yes. you know hijack that's what a I'm good saying. cause that's, that's what I'm, I'm saying I'm a proud feminist but if people like me are put off by it we'll never reclaim it we need to reclaim it that's what I'm saying yeah. reclaim it for your girls Johnny <laughs> can I talk about the K word now K word yeah kosher well, definitely not. Katie Hopkins. <laughs> oh, God, yes, sure. Go now, on. listen, now you I know, a I, got a, I got a bad rap for that. Yeah, you did. Now, now but this is interesting because, um, again, we're coming into an area where there is a schism in ideas and philosophy. We talked about feminism, we talked about woke and intersectionality. You found a place in Jerusalem to show her movie, Homelands, and got into a right old Twitter storm yeah. with several people. Yeah. I've seen that film. I've seen it with Katie Hopkins. And... What do you Frankly, think? though it speaks a truth about population movement affecting older people in small towns, I get it, I see it in Luton, you see it in Oldham, you see it along the east of London. It overstretches itself into racial themes. Yeah. It starts to show I agree. Muslim women scavenging through markets. It's not nice. Yeah. That stuff, you know, you can tell the truth, yeah. but you must not, you know, and you, it, it was okay. But I never proclaimed... Yeah. And this is where people, where people, you know, Did I you think we're unfair. Yes. <laughs> I never proclaimed that I agree with her point of view. Yeah. Never. It's not about that for me. It was about freedom of speech. Yeah. And those same people who attacked me didn't say a peep when Linda Sarsour came to England. Not a peep. Now, that to me is hypocritical. There's many people who offend me in the state of Israel who are sitting in the Knesset you know how many homophobes we have in the Knesset? You know, that offends me. But we're living in a country where it's about the exchange of ideas. And, I mean, I'll just tell you how I got into this. A constituent calls me up and says, Fleur, she's been cancelled. Three places have cancelled the venue. And she's here. There's about 30 people who want to see this film. Can you help us? Um, I passed them a phone number. I made a phone call and that was it. I became worse than her to the eyes of these people one guy even asked for a boycott of me 
I mean, we're trying to fight BDS. We're trying to fight Israel boycotts, and they're boycotting me for passing a number to let a woman show a movie that I don't necessarily agree with. It's just a little bit crazy the way that you know it transpired. You know, I agree that free speech in Israel is freer than it is you in do. the West. I do. We're less politically correct. Yeah, that's right. And, because and you I, have to. I be, will actually. say also that maybe, and I'll say this for myself, maybe I didn't understand quite how controversial she was here. I think that's all I would ask is that we're given the opportunity to speak and be heard and argued with, but that uh, members of the Jewish community don't just try and shut us down or make me a monster so you don't need to listen to what she has to say. Because that documentary, Homelands, isn't me talking, it's, it's Jewish families talking. So it doesn't matter what labels you put on me, racist, far-right, Nazi, hater, it doesn't matter because it wasn't me talking, it was Jewish mums and dads. Where do you because, think... be fair to me, I've been living in Israel over 20 years. I'm, I don't know who's offensive and not offensive. Yeah. To me, she's like Ann Coulter. Do you know who Ann Coulter is? Yeah. She's the American kind of version of Katie Hopkins. She got laughed at about a year before Trump was elected president when she went on a TV show and said, Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States. Exactly. And they rolled around yes. like that sideways emoji laugh. Yes. Okay, here we are. And which Republican candidate <clears throat> has the best chance of winning the general election? Of the declared ones right now, Donald Trump. <laughs> I especially well, like. What the, about of all of them? I mean, Scott fake Walker. laughter from the audience. Um, she goes on every mainstream show in the United States, and honestly, that's who I thought I was. It wasn't her. I was lending a hand to the people, some of them my constituents who wanted to organize this evening. And that was it. And then all of a sudden, like I said, I was worse than her. (laughs) So anyway, look, in politics, you have to understand that sometimes you're going to get attacked. And what I've learned in the last four years is to develop a thicker skin and not feel mortally offended or hurt every time somebody doesn't agree with me or doesn't agree with something that I did. That is the issue that Twitter opens borders and doesn't take into account cultural differences between countries. And it is true. I agree with you. Israel has freer speech. There's a minister who says that we should do conversion therapy to gays. He's the education minister. Now, we're all attacking him, but is he going to resign because he said that? No. We're attacking him, and the voter will show him in another month and a half what they think about that. That's how we live in Israel. And so this kind of hypocrisy of political correctness kills me. It kills me. Nobody can say anything anymore. And I'm saying this as a feminist. Right. Yeah, yeah, but the wrong kind of feminist. The wrong kind. (laughs) The one who shaves her armpits. I don't know. I haven't got that close. Um, But I (laughs) I want to ask, you talk about a lot of Knesset members are... Homophobes, that's what you just said a couple of minutes no, ago. Oh, some, we have some yeah, a, kind a, a of. Some, many, a some. Some, now, are a couple those, of them. Do you include ultra religious men in that department? No, for sure. Do you? Absolutely. Not all of them. You have. But what happens if, you know. They're not all. What about religious men and women who say, you know, it's a chilul Hashem, it's something that you shouldn't be doing, it's the natural. Is it fair to call people of religious conviction homophobes? No. No. I've got religious friends who are gay. Yes. I've got loads. Loads of religious but friends. But it's not who are fair gay. to call everyone 
I'm not calling are, everybody homophobes. No, no, there I'm, are not, a couple, I'm just asking No, you. of course not. First of all, there's gay religious people, okay? Secondly, most religious people, especially the moderate people, it's about live and let live. You know what? You don't want to marry a man. Don't marry a man. <laughs> Stop other people yeah. from doing it. Yeah. Live and let live is what I'm about. Do you know what I mean? As long as you're not harming anybody, yeah. live and let live. It's a very progressive country. Chen Mazig told me that he came out in the army. Yeah. Because the army, let me tell you yes. tell you something. Even though we don't have equal marriage in Israel, because church and state in Israel are together. They're not separate. So nobody What kind of church? Well, synagogue and state. <laughs> Yes. Synagogue and state are not separate institutions, which is something that I'm against. I think we should be separate institutions. The Israeli army was the first army in the world. Forget no ask, don't ask, don't tell. We're the first army in the world to recognize gay partners as inheriting pensions. Do you understand that? That's Israel. That's Israel that I love and that I know. And that's Israel that we can teach the world what to do. Having said that, there's a lot of things we need to improve. Lots, lots of different things. There's lots of inequalities that we need to make sure that we're on top of and constantly move towards eradicating. The irony of the IDF is, though it is a necessity of survival, of defence, it's actually a major um, unifier It's great. You know what it is? When you have an army that a taxi driver can be a battalion commander mm. or the CEO from high tech, mm. it's an equalizer mm. because he has certain skills that the CEO from high tech doesn't have. That to me says it all. It's an equalizer and that's why in Israel we're constantly challenging authority. You have to explain to me why you're my manager, not the other way around. <laughs> that's, that's the startup nation ethos. I think this is what we miss in this country because I think after the end of the First World War and the Second World War, all the classes came together, not least because, of course, there was a huge loss of men, uh, but also the fact that um, the upper classes, I think, were grateful to the working class for actually winning the war. And uh, this provided um, the ability to um, socially climb, to be able to... Uh, get better jobs to be able to uh, enable one's own yeah. self-improvement. And I think that has It's stopped. been that from the beginning. It's stopped in this country. Uh, Maybe. Last years. I don't but know. in I Israel, yeah. uh, it rolls on. I think partly because the country's always under attack and it's smaller. The resources Not only are does it roll on, but now we have a different challenge, which is how to integrate the Arab Israelis into the prosperity and the startup nation. And that's one of the yeah. things I'm very interested in doing, and it's happening. I see it more and more in high-tech companies, more Arab uh, engineers, more uh, managers, more startups coming from the Arab uh, sector. I love that. That's equal opportunity. Now, it's still not there, but we're working very hard towards it. I was in um, the equivalent of what is a 7-Eleven in Dizengoff, and I read the nameplates on the two cashiers, and one was Esther and the other was Mahmoud. Esther and Mahmoud in Jerusalem are working in every shop yeah, together. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, you should come to my gym. Regular Zumba class. You have ultra-Orthodox headdress, mm-hmm. and you have Arab headdress, and you have no headdress in the same class. <laughs> yeah, 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 maybe I'll put a towel on. Just, <laughs> yes, just to fit in. Just, uh, well, yeah, yeah for, for necessity as well. Um, now, Jerusalem is often a place to elevate oneself to national power. Do you see yourself in the Knesset? Are you going to be... 
Prime Minister of Israel in your 50s or 60s or <laughs> 70s? I Look, we don't know what can happen. Politics is so volatile. Um, I, I'm very happy where I am right now. I think I have a unique, unique task uh, in Jerusalem because Jerusalem is not just the capital city of the state of Israel, not just the capital city of the Jewish people, but Jerusalem is also the laboratory of the regional solution. We have 37% Arabs, we have 25% ultra-Orthodox Jews, we have 21% secular Jews, we have 22% people in the middle like me who are traditional religious. And in Jerusalem, where today we're developing the models for a shared society which will serve the entire country. So the way I see it is I'm in the beta testing model at the moment. That's where I am. I'm very happy to be there. If in the future I do see myself in national politics in an international role, because I think that because I speak a few languages, I understand Europe, I understand America, I understand South America, I believe that where am I best serving my country is in an international role representing my country. And so I don't know what that will be or what it will look like. may not happen at all, but at the moment I'm, I'm you know, doing everything I can for, for Jerusalem. Um, I was at a meeting of NGO Monitor. Yes. And the uh, Director of Communications, Itai Ruveni, said anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism is not left or right-wing. Would yeah. you see yourself as ideologically fluid? <laughs> because um, I'll tell you why I'm asking this. Because you came under fire for attending an event organised by the far-left Emek Chavez. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, att- you know, I'm, attacked, well I'm attacked by everybody. European Union. <laughs> yeah, really I right. think that I'm doing something right when everybody's attacking me. You know what, I'll tell you what. I need to explain this for world, the audience. Uh, this is what I'll tell you. I'm in the Likud party. I'm a member of the Central Committee. Nobody can accuse the Likud of being left-wing. However, I'm not interested in, in speaking at events where everybody agrees with me. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to go into places where I can convince people. But what about families of victims? They were very, very upset. Yeah, they, they went back they on what they said. No, they were manipulated by a, a crazy, uh, you know, radical organ- right-wing organization. Because I went, I said to them, I'm going to say that I don't agree with their intervention and I'm going to show everybody that the, that the cable car in Jerusalem is a tourist, um, is a tourist infrastructural project not a political project. I truly believe that. We have 150,000 people going to the old city every day. We don't have how to get them there. This is a purely tourism infrastructural project. I grew up in Gibraltar with a cable car over my head. There's nothing political about the cable car. And people want to make politics out of everything. So I went to this event. I was attacked by this one and that one and got to the event. I was heckled by the left wing at the event for wanting the cable car. And I was attacked by the right wing for showing up to the event and in the end all the right wing came back and said you did the right thing you don't just go and make speeches and rallies where people agree with you you go and make speeches and rallies where people heckle you and maybe you manage to convince or at least change somebody's mind a little bit that's where you go and that's where I go <laughs> now do you have a day off I mean this is yes. tiring well, yes, advocating yes no. for your point of view is tiring fighting all the time yeah. my husband's very happy because I never have time or the energy to fight with him sounds brilliant <laughs> um, Shabbat Shabbat right. now Shabbat is yes and no it's a rest day because 
I'm religious, so I switch off my phone. And for anybody who's not religious and is thinking about a day they can detox Shabbat, don't look any further. We have the template for a detox day. It's called Shabbat. My kids detox from screens. We have a family meal. So it is a really restful day. I see my friends who go to shul. We get a little bit uh, tipsy and kiddush. It's all good. Where it's less uh, of a resting is that I like having people over on Shabbat. I'm a real sort of Moroccan balabusta. So I have 20 people on an average Shabbat eating in my house and I do the cooking. And so, but I do love it and I do enjoy it. Um, so Shabbat's my day. Shabbat's my day. I'm going to share something with you, uh, which is that I was in Gibraltar, my first trip there. I was on holiday in Marbella, so we booked a car into, through Gibraltar and the Spanish were messing about on the border. I think oh, it was during 9-11. They do that all the time. It was during 9-11 and um, the British let us out, but they were careful. It was just, it was difficult. Um, and we had to get back for Shabbos in Marbella. And I was in a newsagent in Gibraltar and it smelt like a newsagent in Birmingham. <laughs> it smelt like tobacco and aero and the Daily Express. <laughs> It really Aero. did. I haven't had an Aero in about 20 years. Go and get one. <laughs> but anyway... The mint one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Honestly, it smelled exactly like that. And there were obviously labels and, and, and cloakroom tickets that no one wants. But they were there for sale. It was a little piece of Britain. <laughs> they still use but, them in Gibraltar. Well, I'm pleased to hear. Everyone needs coats. But I, I just wanted to share this with you. The guy behind the counter was a bit like the guy in Birmingham. He's Muslim. Yeah. And he looked at his watch. And, right, he, said, and he said to me, you're Jewish? Like that, I said, "Yeah, how do you know?" He said, "I just tell." <laughs> and, and then he said, "He said you've got." And then he pointed to his watch and said, "You've got to get back for Shabbos." That's that, what he said to me. This is the community I grew up with. Yeah, the community I grew up with. Everybody celebrated everybody's holidays. It's beautiful. <laughs> Christmas, we had four invitations: Duvali, Muslim Eid. This is how I grew up. That's why I know. I mean, and I know Gibraltar's tiny. And I know it's kind of a microcosm, and so it's easier when it's smaller. But I know what a shared society looks like. And that's what I bring with me from my upbringing, and I want to take to Jerusalem. That's really my added value, that I've seen how it can work. <laughs> I love Gibraltar. I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> Lovely. Fleur Hassan Nahum, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Johnny. Fleur Hassan Nahum, not the first Israeli politician I've interviewed in the series. Check out Yaakov Perry, former head of Shin Bet, episode 10. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State.